Volcano Watch. This is a weekly podcast to update you on the volcanic activity of the week. I'm one of your hosts, Alessandro Mozu. And I'm your other host, Corinne Jorgensen. We're PhD students at the University of Geneva. We study volcanoes and are here to give you all the hot volcano news. First the weekly volcano news, then the focus of the week. So let's get to it. So it's November 15 at the time of recording, and here is your quick update. Okay, so this week we'll start with the Americas. At Kilauea in Hawaii, there's been reports of effusive activity picking uh, back up after a slowdown in early November. At Fernandinha Galapagos Highland, the recent results of almost two years study of the volcano say that there is an uplift rate of almost 400 mm per year under the northeast flank, coupled with a deflection of the uh, west-southwest slope at a rate of 100-400 mm per year. This is thought to be magma migration and thought to represent an impending eruption. Plume-wise, it was a quiet week where we saw plumes from Semispochnoi, Popocatepetl, Fuego, Senge, Reventador, Savancaya, Nevado del Chilan, and Nevado del Ruiz. But really, I want to know from you, Corinne, who won this week? It was a tie. Who? A tie? Between who? Guess. Hmm. I would say... I don't know. Savancaya and Popocatepetl? No, close. It was Savankaya, ah. but Savankaya and Senge with both um, a 7.6 kilometer plume. Ah, that's not super tall. No, really not. So nothing from Karinsky? No. Karinsky had a 7 kilometer plume, but nothing taller. As for the rest of Asia, it was a relatively quiet week too, with activity from Karavar, Swananasojima, Ibu, and Merapi. Actually, Merapi had a pyroclastic flow this week, which extended 1.5 kilometers from the crater. At White Highland in New Zealand, there are indications of some increased activity, with SO2 and CO2 levels increasing. However, summit temperatures have decreased from 500-600 Celsius degree in August-July to 200-250 Celsius degree this past month. In Europe, we actually have some sad news. La Palma had its first casualty. It's an indirect fatality where a man was cleaning off ash off of his roof uh, when the roof collapsed. And this happened on November 14th. Otherwise, the eruption has seemed to be slowing down this week. Um, there were some bigger earthquakes, but generally the tremors continuing to decrease and even had a few pauses. Explosions at the vent are becoming rarer and smaller. Um, so our thoughts are with the community as they deal with this tragedy and, and how they figure out how to navigate safely cleaning up um, as the eruption hopefully comes to a close. This week there was a seismic swarm at Campi Flegrei in Italy. Between November 12th and 13th there was 12 earthquakes, most are at depth of 2 kilometers. This following a minor increase in seismic activity since October. There is also an increase in other unrest measurements such as an inflection which is up to 87 centimeters since 2005 and gas emission, especially CO2. Uh, so that's it for this week. Uh, thanks to our usual sources, VolcanoDiscovery.com and the Smithsonian Global Volcanism Project. So, for the focus of today, we have a special guest with us today. That is going to be Alessandro Pisello. Alessandro and Alessandro. Yeah. Fun. Two Alessandro. Double Alessandro. Double Alessandro. Double the science. 
Okay, so hi Alessandro and welcome to the podcast. It is super nice to have you here with us. So welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So just tell us a little bit about you. So introduce yourself and tell us about your research. I am Alessandro Pisello. I'm a postdoc uh, research fellow at the University of Perugia, uh, where I gained my PhD uh, that I just uh, finished. And uh, I'm studying basically uh, the way to produce a large data set of igneous products in order to uh, decipher what we can see on other planets, especially terrestrial planets in the solar system. Huh. So uh, in which way the study of, for example, terrestrial volcanic glasses or products can tell us more about other planets? Because we know that on the Earth, the chemical uh, composition of igneous products, uh, both volcanic and intrusive, can be li linked to uh, certain uh, geodynamic settings, so, such as, for example, subduction zones or hotspot dynamic. On other planets, this is slightly different because we do not observe forms that indicate that an active tectonic is working, is going on on other planets. Uh, but we can think about some other processes that might generate magma and therefore volcanic activity. So we want to know the chemical composition of volcanic products on other planets to try to understand if there ever was an active tectonic or if there are some features which are similar or completely different to what we can see on Earth. Nice. And so basically, um, how do you do that? So how do you generate this data set of, uh, of rocks? Uh, we generate the data set of rocks uh, with techniques which are related to experimental petrology. Basically, what we do is we create a rock in a lab. We can do it in two ways. We can start from a natural rock that we can find on the earth, that we collect on the earth somewhere. We crush it, we melt it, and we produce the silicate melt, or, which is basically magma. Uh, or on the other hand, we can start from synthetic, uh, we can start from uh, pure oxides to produce a 100% synthetic composition. This latter option is somehow a little bit more difficult to deal with, but in the end, you can have lots of different composition, even invent some chemical composition, because, for example, we think that on Mars or on Mercury, there is some lava which is completely different from uh, the one we can see on the Earth. So if the first, um, uh, the first methodology is uh, somehow easier faster and allows us to have uh, complex chemical composition in a very quick way. The second option, we can feel a bit more free to, to recreate uh, whatever composition we like. Then when we have created the rocks by basically by creating the melt and then uh, cooling the melt by quenching and therefore creating a glass or by cooling ramps and therefore creating crystalline products, we analyze these products with the same tools that they are used, for example, by rovers on Mars 
or by uh, satellites observing Mercury. Uh, I'm thinking about BepiColombo, which will be a mission which will map the mid-infrared emissivity of Mercury in the next three, four years. Or, for example, the ExoMars mission, that is a complex mission with different instruments. One of them is the Rosalind Franklin rover, which will be able to collect mid-infrared, visible infrared and near-infrared spectrum directly on the surface of Mars. By comparing this um, data collected on other planets and the data we collect on uh, special rocks, like hypothesized rocks that we create on the, in the lab, we, we want to build another way to retrieve chemical information of planetary products. Ah, that's super cool. So you, you basically, uh, it's funny these things that you, you generate magmas in the laboratory. So it's like working in a little small volcano, actually. Very nice. So uh, a last question for you. So which is the most exciting thing about your research? Which is I don't know, uh, an exciting moment or something that really you like to do? Or... Uh, first of all, uh, I have to tell you that we, yes, we have a small volcano in the, in the, in the lab, but um, it is very different from, uh, from what we can find in nature because the, the scale is completely different. So it's nice, but we have to really be careful when comparing what we have in the lab and what we have in the field. The most exciting thing, it's, it's somehow something difficult to tell because, you know, when you do something for a long time, it starts getting boring sometimes. But in the end, the first time you see the glowing, the glowing material, it's a, it's a nice sensation. Now it gets more and more uh, usual, so I don't get excited anymore. But sometimes, uh, for example, the most exciting parts are the accidents. So uh, there's an accident and you have to deal with it. It's somehow exciting. <laughs> That's strange, eh? The other way around. Yeah. So thank you very much for your time, Alessandro. And I hope you to see you again in this podcast. And goodbye. Have a nice day. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao. Thanks, Alessandro, so much for, for chatting with Alessandro. Uh, it was really fun to hear, hear what all, all the things that you had to say. Uh, and thanks, everyone else, for listening. Uh, I hope everyone has a great week, and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 I can go deeper. Bye. 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 Oh. <laughs>